We are now at uh, question 103 in the Shorter Catechism. Your will be done. So we continue this sermon series. We're getting right toward the end of it now. So far I have preached a sermon about the Lord's Prayer related to our catechism, showing on the preface to the Lord's Prayer, and then on the first and second petitions of the Lord's Prayer, and today it is to the third petition that we come. So let's review a little bit by uh, confessing the answers to the questions 100 through one, and then we'll take up 100 through 102, and then we'll take up 103 is our new one. So question 100, what doth the preface to the Lord's Prayer teach us? The preface to the Lord's Prayer, which is our Father which art in heaven, teacheth us to draw near to God with all holy reverence and confidence as children to a Father able and ready to help us and that we should pray with and for others. Question 101, what do we pray for in the first petition? In the first petition, which is, hallowed be thy name, we pray that God would enable us and others to glorify him in all that whereby he maketh himself known, and that he would dispose all things to his own glory. Question 102, what do we pray for in the second petition? In the second petition, which is, Thy kingdom come, we pray that Satan's kingdom may be destroyed and that the kingdom of grace may be advanced, ourselves and others brought into it and kept in it, and that the kingdom of glory may be hastened. Now let's confess the answer to question 103. That is the question we look at today. Question 103 What do we pray for in the third petition? In the third petition, which is, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we pray that God, by His grace, would make us able and willing to know, obey, and submit to His will in all things as the angels do in heaven. Now, as with last week, Our primary text is just the Lord's Prayer itself in that verse 610, the part of verse 610, that says, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, we've already had two supplementary readings that we'll very much be looking at that go along with this. One from Luke 22, 39 through 46, where Jesus prays that God's will would be done concerning his going to the cross. And the other from Psalm 119, 33 through 40, in which we ask God to enable us to obey his will. So those are different ways of looking at God's will, aren't they? And we're going we're gonna to look into that more today. So let's turn our attention then to our primary text first, Matthew six ten. your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we speak about God's will, we're talking about what God wants. So you might say that this is a prayer that what God wants will be done. We are praying that things will happen the way he wants. 
And of course, in one sense, we're submitting to him as the ruler to do what he wants. We're saying, Lord, do what you want to do, what you think is best. In the other sense, we're saying, Lord, I want to do what you have told me to do. I want to do your will. So that's the two ways that we look at God's will being done. Both are in view. So let's look at each of those a little bit more. First, a prayer in which we leave it to God to do what he wants to do. Of course, we know that God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. We looked at that earlier, didn't we? When we looked at the confidence, we have to pray that he's in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. We don't really have control to give to him to start with when we say your will be done. He works all things according to the counsel of his own will. Not even a sparrow falls without the Lord. But you know what we mean when we say that we're leaving something to God. You know what it is, because we all have stubborn, rebellious hearts, to be opposed to God's will, to what he's doing. Praying your will be done is a way of resignation in which you submit to him to do what he pleases. We tell him that we are relinquishing our resistance and our opposition, and leaving it to him to do what he deems to be best. We are letting go of the matter and leaving it to him. It is in his hands, and we're accepting that. The greatest example of this kind of prayer is found in the reading that we had in Luke twenty-two forty-two, where Jesus was facing the cross, which he refers to as a bitter cup that he must drink. Just think of it. He's going to bear the eternal penalty of God's wrath for all of his people, for the sin of the world, all the guilt, all of the shame, all of the rejection was to fall on him. It's something that only he, the very son of God, was able to do. We can't even comprehend what it was for him to bear all of this. And yet he submits to the Father about this. It's the most difficult act of submission that anyone has ever done or that anyone ever will have to do. We looked at that recently actually in in Hebrews where they're looking at temptation and how people say, oh, Jesus, Jesus doesn't know what I'm going through. No, you don't know what he went through. It's the other way around. And he's gracious about it. He doesn't say, well, it's nothing to what I had to do. He rather is a compassionate and faithful high priest who comes to minister to us. So he submits to the Father about this. The glorious submission. He says, Father, if it is possible, take this cup away from me. I don't don't want this at all. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. We're told that he was in such agony when he prayed this, that he not only began to sweat in that arid place, but also began to actually ooze blood out of his capillaries, a condition called hematidrosis. It's a rare condition that is actually known in in medical science when people are in such agony that their blood vessels begin to ooze blood with their sweat. In praying this prayer, Jesus is doing what he told us to do when he taught us to pray, your will be done. 
Okay, he said that a couple of times to his disciples with the Lord's Prayer. You're, you, this is what you should pray. Your will be done. But there is a second way to look at this prayer that I've referred to. And that is that we're to pray that ourselves and others would obey God's commands. In other words, that we and others would obey his will on earth, as it says in the prayer. He has given us his commandments and they tell us how he wants us to live. The Ten Commandments summarize what God's will is for us, what he wants us to do. We're also told that we're to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're told that we're to worship God. We're told that we're to trust in God. That is his will, to believe in him for salvation. That is the will of God, that we're to serve him, that we're to be holy as he is holy. This is the will of God for us. We pray that we would obey him because, as you all know, we do not always obey him. (laughs) So it's something we need to pray about. In fact, as we saw when we studied the Ten Commandments, if you look at them closely, we never perfectly obey any of the commandments in this life. And if you are here for that study, I hope you understand just what I'm talking about. I can't review it all now. But since the fall, Jesus is the only one who has ever done this. And so praying for God's will to be done in the second way is to pray for his help in obeying him. If we are Christians, he has given us a new heart, a transformed heart that loves the Lord and that wants to please him, but that still has remaining sin and that struggles with sin. So this is a natural prayer for the Christian. Lord, help me to do your will. Help me to walk in your commandments. Give me grace to obey you in all things. An example of this kind of prayer is found in what we read in Psalm 119, verse 33 through 40. And uh, in verse 35 and 36, it says, Make me walk. In the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Okay, so walking the path or the way of God's commandments, for I delight in it. We pray this prayer because we believe that God is actually able to change us so that we go from people that that don't obey to people that do obey, that we obey in ways that we used to not obey because of his gracious work. So you see, the two ways of looking at the prayer that God's will would be done, uh, it is a prayer of submission to God, that to do what he desires to do, what he wills to do. It's a prayer of asking God to help us to do what he has commanded us to do, what he wills for us to do. So these two ways of looking at God's will are described in Deuteronomy 29, 29, in a single verse. You can remember that verse. It's a good one to remember. Deuteronomy 29, 29. Isn't that an easy reference to remember? It, it, they are referred to as his secret will and his revealed will. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. 
So in hearing that, can you tell which is which? Which refers to the things that he has commanded us to do and which refer his secret will or his revealed will? Which one refers to the things that he has commanded us to do? It is, of course, his revealed will. The things that he has commanded us are revealed to us by him, as it says, in order that we and our children might do those things, that we might obey them. But the secret things, it says, belong to the Lord our God. By saying that it belongs to him, that they belong to him, it means that they are kept with him so that we do not always know what he's going to do. They they're, they're belong to God. He doesn't tell us. They're not revealed. They're secret things. You don't know when you're going to die. You don't know how you're going to die. That's something God knows. You don't know when you will be sick or if you're sick when you will get well or even what is going to become of you. You don't know which side will win a war that is fought. You don't know which team will win a ball game. You don't know if you will be able to have children or if you will be able to get a job or not. You don't know who is going to be saved and who is not going to be saved. These are all things that belong to the Lord our God. It's a good thing that you don't know all these things. We would actually be very miserable if we did know everything that God retains as secret things. It's helpful for right praying to see this difference between things revealed and things that are secret, God's secret will and his revealed will. For example, suppose you do get sick. How should you pray? What is the will of God? Well, the secret will, you you do not know the secret will of God. Like I said before, you don't know whether you're going to get well or not. That belongs to God. So should you pray the way Jesus did when he was facing the cross? Jesus had no pleasure in suffering on the cross as a thing in itself. What did he do? He pled with God that he might not have to drink that cup. It would have been wrong for him to take pleasure in the cross as a thing in itself. It would have actually been wrong for him to take pleasure in it. I mean, he would would have to be really a warped and, and twisted individual to, if he had pleasure in the thing itself, in being estranged and cut off from God. But he was pretty sure, he actually knew that God did want him to, to go to the cross, and he knew the reason, to atone for sins. And he knew that as much as he despised it, that God wanted it. It was something that he must submit to, resign to. And that's what he did in his prayer. So if you're sick, it's the same thing. You can pray that God will take the sickness away and you don't know what his will is in that situation, but you can't demand it. You have to say, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Maybe the Lord wants you to learn patience. And you see, if you do if you pray this way it will help you to have more patience because you're recognizing god is doing this for his purposes instead of just this is just a terrible thing that's happening to me and god won't deliver me no no god is involved in the whole thing you maybe he wants you to learn patience maybe he wants you to slow down maybe he is humbling you or maybe like job 
He wants you to show other people, including Satan, how much you love God and how you're willing to continue to serve God, even when it's really hard to serve God. Maybe in persecutions. Paul showed that all the time with all the persecutions that he endured for the, for, for the glory of the Lord. You don't know all of that, but there is one thing that you do know. You know for sure that you are to be patient in your sufferings, because that's revealed to you, isn't it? And you know for sure that you should keep on serving God no matter how hard life gets. You know that. That is God's revealed will. That is what he has commanded you to do. So even as you pray that if it be possible that he would heal you, you should also pray that you will honor and obey him whether he heals you or not, that you will be patient. The same principles could be applied to other things, like when a hurricane's coming. Unless you're warped and twisted, you will pray that that God will not bring devastation through that, that hurricane, that it will not cause harm to you or others or to your property or loss of life. And that's what you ought to pray. But that if it is God's will, that he would use it to humble people, to draw them to himself, to glorify his name. His wrath is revealed against our sin in the world through such things. And he does, if we didn't have things like that, it's unlikely that anyone would ever seek the Lord. We might think of praying for the lost in this regard too. How do we pray for the lost? Unbelieving friends and relatives. We know that God has chosen to save some people and not others. But we do not know which people he has chosen. Why? The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But we know that it is his revealed will for everyone to be saved. Did you ever think about that? It's his revealed will for everyone to be saved. It's not his secret will, but his revealed will. And he commands them to be saved. He calls all people everywhere to repent and believe the gospel. So we should pray wholeheartedly that they would. That's what God has revealed to be his calling, his will. Yet we have to submit to God if he does not save those that we love in the end. He has his reasons for saving some and leaving others uh, to perish in their sin. And we have to leave that with him. He's told us that he does it for his glory. Once they have died without Christ, we have to say, Lord, your will be done. And thank him that he saves anyone, though not everyone. Submission to hard providence is is not easy. But it helps a lot to realize that one of the reasons we even have hard times is to teach us the very thing that we lost in the fall. That we're here to serve God. That's what we turned away from when we fell. Just like Jesus who came to do the Father's will. That's what we're here for. I'm here, Jesus said, to do your will. In a world without sin, doing God's will would be, would be sheer happiness. Do you understand what I mean? A world without sin, where there was no fall, where there was no curse, doing God's will would be absolute happiness. But in a world of sin, it means denying yourself. Very often. And it means submitting to the hard things that come because of sin. And it means learning to pour our lives out 
for other people. Sacrificially, submission to God and love to others is cultivated in a fallen world where we have to do hard things for each other. In heaven, we'll no longer have opportunity to do painful things to each other, for, for each other. Or, or, or we won't have that opportunity. We need to make the most of the opportunity now in learning obedience and love in a place where we have to suffer. Hebrews 5.8 tells us that even the Lord Jesus, Jesus, though he was a son, learned obedience through the things that he suffered. He had to learn to love people when suffering was involved. He had to go through the experience of that and the difficulty of that, of even going to the cross in order to redeem us and knowing I have to do something that I don't at all want to do in itself, but as a loving sacrifice to my father and to others. That's what he had to do even being in a fallen world. So as we've seen with the other petitions and with prayer in general, we're to cultivate a desire for things that Jesus tells us to pray for. So prayer is supposed to be, remember, an offering up of our desires to God for the things that are agreeable to his will. That was one of the catechism's questions we had before. And it's certainly true with our desire that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, as it is with all these other prayers. So that brings me to the next thing I want to look at this afternoon. We should desire what we pray for here. We should want God's secret will to be done, even when it's hard for us now. And we know that what God does will be the best thing. We know that it will be good and wise. What he does will, in the end, bring glory to his name and good to us. That's what we pray for in the first petition. And the Bible tells us in Ephesians 1 that God works all things after the counsel of his will for his own glory. So that's why we want him to do it his way. Because it will bring glory to him. Romans eleven thirty six says that of him and through him and to him are all things to whom belong the glory forever and ever. The ultimate end of all history is to bring glory to his name and it will. I showed you before how things like Egypt being raised up as a great wicked worldly power that was invincible before other nations was a way, something that God did deliberately to bring glory to his name. And having a stubborn Pharaoh whose heart was hardened, everyone says, why did God harden his heart? Well, God tells us it was in order to show the mighty, his mighty hand, the power of God in bringing him down and to show the mercy of God in delivering his people Israel through whom the salvation of the world was to come. So the same thing with the cross. It happened to bring about our salvation, even though it was a very wicked deed of those who did it. It brought tremendous glory to God so that we learn more about him through the cross than any other way. We learn of his justice, of his wrath, of his mercy, of his forgiveness, of his wisdom, of his love through the cross and all that went with it, the fall and all that. So we learn of God and he is glorified. So we should desire that God's secret will would be done and submit to it because it brings glory to God. That's the best thing that can ever happen. That's not all. We should also desire that his will would be done because what he does will be the best for us as his people in the end. So those are the two things. It brings glory to God and it will be the best thing 
for us as his people. Now, of course, if you're not one of his people, and you do not, the last thing you want is for God's plans to be carried out because it's his plan that he's going to destroy those sinners who do not repent. If you do not come to Christ to obtain eternal life, you'll be cast into the lake of fire and that will glorify God because his justice will be seen in giving you the punishment that you deserve. His honor will be upheld. But if you're a believer, God tells us that he works all things together to make us more like Jesus Christ. I have already explained to you how even Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered, and we do too. As hard as it may be to submit to hard providence, to difficult things, we should learn to do it because we know that the plans that God has are for our very good. In Jeremiah 29, 11, he says, for I, and they were in a very hard times, he says, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. His ultimate plan is to bless us in Jesus Christ. So say to him from your heart. And I tell you, you have to learn to say this from your heart. Your will be done. Whatever comes into your life, whatever you see around you, your will be done. We should pray that his secret will be done because it would be an intolerable burden for us if it fell upon us ultimately to decide what was going to be done in the world. We would not have the wisdom or the godliness, the holiness to know what needs to be done. If the Lord were to say, okay, I'll leave it to you to decide when you will die, which job you will get, how well you will do at that job even, what kind of income you will receive, when your children will be sick and when they will be well, and how well they will do in school. It's all in your hands. If God said, if he gave us that responsibility, we would not know what to do with it. We'd make a terrible mess of everything. We would ruin everything. No, my friends, leave it to God. Your will be done. So that's the first thing that we ask God to carry out his plans to do his will because we know that what he planned is best. And in a similar way, We should also want God's revealed will to be obeyed because it is simply right for God to be obeyed. We should pray for obedience because sin defiles and degrades us as human beings. It was such a wretched thing for us ever to break away from the living God who made us almost as soon as we were created. Just think of it. We were the creature that, and he is the creator And the difference between us and him is incomprehensible. His authority and right to govern us are obvious. And we said, no, I won't listen to you. I won't have you govern me. It's all perverted. We're we're corrupt. We're twisted, defiled. We're ruined. And we need to be restored. Just imagine how wonderful it would be if we were all to obey his will. What if everyone in the world right now began to obey God's will. What love there would be in the world. What happiness there would be. What joy there would be. What harmony there would be. If everyone loved their neighbor as themselves, if everyone worshiped God as he ought to be worshiped with their whole heart, 
how we ought to yearn that we and others would do this. If he is willing to to set us back in the way of obedience and to, to lead others into greater and greater holiness of life, that should be our our earnest prayer. Secondly, we should pray for obedience because sin brings sorrow and misery upon the whole human race, upon us and all people. The world is cursed because of sin. There are storms and famines and birth defects. There are wars and deaths and terrible diseases. I'm talking about the creation itself now. And uh, there are accidents and injuries and poverty and terrors and guilt. Hell is a place of everlasting torment. And it's because of disobedience. That's the only reason for it, because of disobedience. We should hate our disobedience and what it has done for us. And we should pray that sin would be eradicated from the earth. We should yearn that we and the whole world would, that that we would do the will of God, that we would be done with sin and that we would start obeying God. That's our prayer. We want everyone to obey. Thirdly, we should pray for obedience because the very reason Jesus came was to restore obedience. Yes, he came to bring forgiveness and to atone for our sins, but he also came to reconcile us to God that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, that we might again live and serve God. Christ gives us hope. What good would it have done if Christ had died to atone for our sin, but not also promised to bring us into reconciliation and obedience to God? You'd just be forgiven and no one would get punished, but you would never live for God or obey God or live in that harmony that, that we spoke of. Christ gives us hope, hope that we can walk with God by God's grace, hope that we can obey, hope that the world will truly be restored to perfect righteousness by his saving work. He gives to all who turn to him of his Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit writes his law on our hearts so that we want to do his will, and he will continue to work that, the, the work that he has begun till it's perfect in Christ. So truly, we should desire to see the will of God done, his secret will brought to pass, and his revealed will obeyed in the earth. And desiring it, let us then pray fervently for it. Now let's take a little time to look in more detail at the things we ought to pray for that are associated with our obedience. First, we need to pray for the different components or parts of obedience. When you're serious, you pray not just in general for obedience, but also for the component parts of obedience. What do I mean by the component parts of obedience? Well, first, you pray that you and others would understand God's will. If you don't know what God wants, how can you obey him? So that's the first thing you need to know, isn't it? In our scripture reading, we saw in Psalm 119.33 that David says, Teach me the way of your statutes. And in Psalm 119, 34, he says, give me understanding. Like, show me how to live, in other words. Jesus said that if you really want to know the truth, you will know it. God will show you what is right. Paul often prays that God will enable believers to know the will of God, to know what is right, that they will see what is right. In Philippians, Paul says, Philippians 1, 9, 
And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment that you may approve the things that are excellent. Now, obviously, knowing the will of God has to come before you can do the will of God. So pray that you will be, that God will open your eyes to understand his commandments. But then there is a second matter that you need to pray about. You need to pray that you and others will be willing to do his will. So we want to know, and then we want to be willing to do his will. Our corruption is such that there are times when we know what God has commanded. We know perfectly well what he's commanded, and we just don't want to do it. We, we are not willing We know that God has told us to tithe, but we want to hang on to our money. We know that he's told us not to gossip, but we love to tell stories about the people around us. Or maybe we're struggling with drinking or or, or with pornography, drinking too much or with pornography. And we wish that God had not prohibited these things. We don't like the will of God. Or maybe we just have no heart about caring for others and serving other people. We're just a dead one that that doesn't have real love for others. We don't want to do anything. We don't want to go out of our way to to help other people or to serve other people. I I commend some of our, the young adults in our church who, who are finding ways to serve. It's a wonderful thing when you do that. There's so much in our present generation where where there's not, that's not a, something that is done. People aren't willing to serve. They don't want to, to, to do stuff that will inconvenience them. And, and this is something that we need to, to learn to do, to, to give to others. Think of ways that, that I, can, I can serve. Now, you see, when, when, when all of this is the case, okay, you need to pray. When, when you're not willing to do these things, you need to pray Psalm 119.36. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to covetousness. Isn't that a great prayer? God is able to make you want to do what pleases him instead of coveting. Pray that you will be willing to do whatever he asks you to do. But knowing God's will and being willing to do it is still not all. How many times have you been willing and then failed to do God's will when the time came? That's what Paul complains about in Romans 7. He says, the good that I want to do, I'm willing to do, I want to do, I don't do. But I end up doing the evil that I hate instead. Maybe you're all geared up to to witness to someone, you know, to talk to them about the Lord. You've gotten to know someone, you have an opportunity, but then you chicken out. And for no good reason. You know, I, I wanted to do that, but then when I got with them, I, it, just, it just didn't happen. It didn't, it didn't come out. Pray that you will actually do the will of God then. That you will have the strength to obey at the time when obedience is called for. Some of the strongest men in the world turn out to be the greatest weak, weaklings when it comes to sin. <laughs> They're pushovers. They're wimps. They can't even control their own spirit. Napoleon is said to have conquered the, all, the whole world and to have never been able to conquer himself. That's a sad thing. In Psalm 119.35, David says, Make me walk in the path of your commandments. Make me do your will. That's, that's really what he's saying there. Isn't it great that we can pray that? That God will do that? That it's something we can ask him to do and he will enable us to actually go on and do his will? We might need to pray that a lot. Paul seemed to need to pray that a lot. If he did, I expect that that we do as well. 
So then those are the different components of our obedience that we're to pray for. That we would know his will, that we would desire to do his will, and that we would actually obey his will, carry through with it. Next, we need to pray that our obedience will be the right kind of obedience. Jesus tells us to pray that it will be like the obedience of heaven. The angels are our model. They are eager to obey God. Psalm 103, 20 gives us a beautiful description of them when it speaks about them saying, Bless the Lord, you you his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. Seems that their whole life is a life of perfect obedience. This is what it's like in heaven. And now that Jesus is in heaven, he is also an example of perfect obedience in heaven that we're to pray would be done on earth, that same obedience. It is his food and drink. It was his food and drink to do the will of God when he was here. We're to pray for nothing else than that kind of obedience. We should also pray, as the Westminster Catechism shows us, that our obedience will have the right attributes or characteristics about it. You ought to pray, first of all, for humble obedience. Obedience where you are, uh, well, like Philippians 2 talks about, we're told that we're to have the mind of Christ who humbled himself in obeying the Father in order to come here, to leave the glories of heaven and to come here in order to die for our sins. We're to treat others as more important than ourselves. That's humility. We always think we're more important. You should be doing stuff for me, not me for you. We should be willing to bear shame in obeying the Lord, to lose our dignity and our rights for him if necessary. That's humble obedience. And we should not act as if we have done some great thing when we obey. That's proud obedience. Next, you should pray for cheerful obedience. Those who obey grudgingly have a stench to their obedience. It doesn't honor God for us to complain about what he's given us to do and to do it grudgingly. Glad obedience is obedience that honors our master. We show that we are delighted to be in his service. Now, again, we're not necessarily delighted with hard things that we're called to do, bearing persecution or something like that. But we show that because it's for him, Jesus rejoiced to go to the cross for us, for the joy that was set before him. He despised the shame, but he bore the cross. When we see how much he has done for us, we cannot do enough for him. And third, you ought to pray for faithful obedience faithful obedience. That's obedience that keeps on going even when the going is tough, when there is opposition, when there is tiredness. There are no excuses. Faithful obedience is always there, like Jesus pressing on to the cross. You can't say, oh, I was tired. Well, that's not an excuse. You need faithful, pray for faithful obedience. Don't say, "I've I've got license now because I'm tired. You don't. No, you're still to do the will of God. You ought to pray for, next, for four, fourthly, for diligent and zealous obedience. This is an obedience that seeks out ways to please God. The obedience that Jesus died to give us is an obedience that is zealous for good works. It says he died to make a people that were zealous for good works. Not just that they do them, but they're zealous for them. 
It's not an obedience to ask what is required, but rather an obedience to ask, what can I do for the Lord who has done so much for me? You are to abound more and more in your obedience. Like it talks about in Thessalonians that we abound more. He says, you're loving each other. You need to abound more. You need to abound more and more. Where, where you go all out to obey, pouring your whole being out into it, your heart, soul, mind, and strength to love God, a zealous obedience. Fifth, you're to pray for a sincere obedience. It's not an obedience that's done just for others to see. It's not, mixed, it's not mixed with that. It's an obedience that is aimed at pleasing God through and through. There are so many mixed motives in us, and we must pray that these will be extracted from us, and especially that we would not have a mere external obedience like the Pharisees did, where the things they did, they did to be seen for, by men. It wasn't for God. It's not a true obedience from the heart. It's not sincere. Man looks on the outward appearance. Remember, God sees the heart. You can deceive people, but you can't deceive God. And finally, we should pray for a constant obedience. Obedience should become so much a part of us that it's habitual. This is a little bit different than faithful obedience. It's related, but faithful obedience is when it gets really hard. But I'm talking now about habitual obedience. Because we're so full of sin, we often think of habits as bad things, don't we? If I have a habit, it's probably a bad thing right? That's, that's the way we think. But not all habits are sinful. God has blessed us that we can, we're habitual beings. And what a blessing it is to have habits of obedience, where it's just your default. It's just what you do. If there's a need, you don't sit down and think about, oh, well, I guess I should go and help them. But it's just a habit. You just go. You just go and do it. There's a need. That's the kind of, that's what we're praying for here. We're praying for great things. We're praying for excellent things. This is so different than an obedience that's stirred up one day and that drops off the next day, or an obedience that rises and falls with your moods. It's habitual. No real, you see, real obedience is constant obedience. So we're to ask God to give us obedience that is nothing less than all of this, that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we've seen that there is much to this prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's both a prayer of submission and also a prayer for help in doing what God wants. And do you know that this prayer will be literally answered? It will. God has given the earth to his saints and he promises that the meek his saints, in other words, his believing people, will inherit the earth. At the judgment, we will see Jesus, and he promises that when we see him, we will be like him. The wicked will be cast into the lake of fire, so they will not be here anymore. And then there will be a new heaven and a new earth. This earth will be fully redone without the curse, where righteousness dwells, where God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. This prayer is going to be fully 100% answered. That is what we're to pray for, and God is going to answer it. Please stand and let's pray. Oh, Lord our God,
we thank you as we come before you that your will is going to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're going to be just as obedient here as the angels are there. And we marvel at this, Lord. We are delighted at this. We can't even imagine what it will be like for all of us to love each other the way you commanded us to and to love you the way that you have told us to with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Father, we we can't even begin to fathom this, but we pray that it would be our true desire, even here now, that we would begin to pray this prayer with a a sincerity and a zeal, that we would yearn to see your will done. And Father, that we would endeavor to do that here now, desiring to see you glorified through the things that you do, your secret will, as well as to see you glorified in our obedience to you here, even when there are difficulties and hard things. So there'll never be another occasion for something like the cross of Jesus Christ. This is something that happened in this fallen, sinful world. And what a glorious thing it is, what beautiful obedience there is in the cross. We pray, Lord, that we might exhibit beautiful obedience so long as we're here in a world where we have to sacrifice, where we have to lay down our lives many times, where we have to suffer in our duty to you and others. But Father, we pray also that that time will come that you have promised when we will no longer have the curse or or sinful, no, no sinful people in the world. We won't be sinful anymore. Father, how we look forward to that. We pray that more and more we would move toward that in our walk, that we would be more and more beautiful as those who do the will of God. May we see, Lord, that it is a beautiful thing. Like we were talking about this morning, that holiness, is, the people of the world want to make us think that holiness is some ugly austere thing. It's not at all. It's a warm-hearted, devoted, committed, beautiful love. There's nothing like it. And we pray, Father, that, that you would make us holy because you are holy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Live unto God. Receive now the blessing of the Lord. Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.